We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing the esports business. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. So all of the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Christina Maya. Christina is the president of Latinx and Gaming. She previously was a director for the DreamHack America's Festival, the vice chair of the International Game Developers Association, and head of events for esports organization Team Liquid, among other roles. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So to start, introduce yourself. Tell us about your past gaming experience. What was the first game you played? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the first game I played was, and it was N64, and I played, I think I'm going to say Legend of Zelda Green of Time. That's usually my response, but like now that I'm getting older, I'm like, was it? I don't know. But um, my dad bought me an N64, and so obviously he had to buy games to go with it, and Legend of Zelda was one of them. That was really cool. That's definitely, I would say, one of my, like, all-time favorite. Like, that was one of those first ones I got, like, super obsessed with. Like, I was on some Zelda America Online fan club, probably. Like, had all the guidebooks. So, you know, that's a great one. So how'd you kind of transition in kind of the esports and video game business? <laughs> um, so for esports and video games, I, I will say that, uh, how did I get here? Well, so in college, I studied political science, right? Um, I was an international affairs major with a second degree in English, French, not English, French and Spanish. Um, and so I have two degrees. And it's not because I thought I was like really smart or anything, but I got to college already with so many credits that uh, I was able to skip the first two and a half years. So obviously, I didn't want to just like immediately get out of college. And I kind of hated my major. So I just kept studying, which which was like probably not my smartest choice, and because I'm like not doing anything with that anyways, right? Um, and then after college, I was like, well, I want to get into gaming, and I like marketing, so I kept taking odd jobs. I would work at like PAX East, doing like Enforcer, other things like that, and then eventually I ended up in the gaming industry. Amazing. So you kind of really went into the grassroots stuff from the enforcer angle and just kind of being in the whole situation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was learning through that. And through that, actually, I met a lot of rioters that I'm still in contact with today. Um, so that's kind of funny because, like, uh, I was just, like, enforcing at their booth. Worked out for right. me. Right. And you never know. That's what I always tell people. You got to be at these things. You got to be in it to win it. And you talk to some people, you're personable and 
you know, the next thing you know, you have an internship or, you know, they need some help here and you did great. Oh, let's talk out, you know, with that person that we met. So, you know, it's sure. definitely important. Yeah. Um, so tell us about Latinx in gaming and what was the organization and what's kind of your role with it? So Latinx in gaming, uh, let's see. I mean, back at GDC 2018, I saw all these events happening for like women people of color but i didn't see anything for latinos and i was like well this is weird like i really want to participate i want to participate as a latino obviously you can go to gdc and you can go to parties and events but i wanted to do a little bit more within my own community and kind of get to know people there um so we started with a panel a round table through the um, igda and then through that we realized well there's a huge need there's like a, a big need for the community to grow here and so we started Latinx and Gaming as a Facebook group. Um, as per usual, when I start any community, some of my friends who I forced into it do it. Um, <laughs> and then from there we grow. So we're up now to about 15,000 people, I would say, across all of our platforms. Um, and we have partnerships with a lot of the companies um, in gaming that are around today. But it's really cool. It all started from just wanting to be included more in the space. So what are some of the stuff that you have worked on in the past and maybe some future plans? For Latinx, uh, a lot of our past stuff involves uh, elevating voices. So, for example, for Hispanic Heritage Month, we do Unidos, which is, um, you know, a stream slash celebration of Latino creators and game makers, etc. We do a career fair every year um, that is eventually coming up. It's called Conexión. We help people get hired. I think it's going to be later in the year since everything's going down but usually uh we have it in like june we'll see you never know um and then also we're gonna probably be at gdc we're gonna do our picnic in the park so if you're there it's gonna be on tuesday of gdc uh final details will be coming out soon enough amazing so it's great to kind of embrace and help this community grow um so yeah so previously you were the director for um Festival Dream Hack. So tell us a little about your role. What was your day to day like, and what were some of the events you worked on? That was that was such a cool role. Um, for Dream Hack, what I was really focusing on there was making sure that all of the pieces of the festival came together cohesively and really aligned with Dream Hack's overall vision and strategy. So for me, it was really important that one of the main things we were shifting away from was to be less about kind of a place where you could go watch IEM. Um, to be a place where gamers of all demographics can come. One of my personal major focuses while I was there was I noticed that the demographics were pretty heavily skewed male, even more so uh, than some of the other events you attend. Like I would say upwards of 80%, which is really high. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to do what I could to help kind of change that and make it more uh, more even, femme, non-binary, et cetera, focused and bring in more diverse people. And how'd you do that? What were some of the steps that you did? Uh, one of the main things I focused on was improving our artist alley. I think that if you bring in talented artists, artists tend to live in a really femme, non-binary space. And I think it was really cool to have um, a little bit more focus there, really give them the attention they needed. Um, obviously, we had people that had done it before me that, that did a good job, but it wasn't their main focus and they were being, you know, working in so many directions that like it was something that they fulfilled when they could. So 
I put time into it. We had about 32 artists each show. Uh, we made sure that they made some custom merch for the show. We showed it off on social media. We got some of I if you can't tell um, from behind me, I really love art and like artwork. And uh, I had started developing relationships with some of these artists to be able to like get them to come back to further shows. So that was really cool. Um, I also did a, a character select section where um, you could like do your hair, your nails, or your you know face paint or makeup. Uh, and it was, you know, we had some men show up to that as well. So it really was an inclusive space. And we had a rest and relaxation area that a lot of parents took advantage of while their kids were playing. We actually had a player from Korea sneak into one and sleep for a while because he was so jet lagged. I felt so bad for him. Um, and we had to wake him up at some point. But yeah, so there was, there was all those sort of things. Yeah. Well, I attended the one in Dallas and it was definitely an amazing show. I noticed that, as you said, you had... The EIM, and you also had the female CSGO going on and some other games. So yeah. it's you know nice I to see that. I can't take any section. credit for that, but it was awesome. <laughs> um, so how was it like working on such large scale events in different cities? Um, I will say that it it feels like a daunting task, but I think a lot of it, a lot of the success comes from being with a team and a team of people that really love and, and know what they're doing, and also you know being a little bit more technical here, right, is like sticking to deadlines and making sure that we're enforcing those type of things um, from the get. Um, I was lucky, I think, to have a, a group of people that were doing the operations side of things, like the more technically focused things for, for the group. And I think that they really helped drive the event. Amazing. So were there any moments that kind of stood out to you during your time? I think that uh, something that really stuck out to me the most was when I threw um, the party in San Diego and I didn't, I, I didn't realize one that they were going to be pouring really heavy pours, but seeing all my colleagues just having fun and really enjoying an environment I created. I, I think one of my favorite things to do at events is throw parties, but, you know, it's just always such a like little thing for me. Uh, and in Dallas, I don't know if you came to the draft house party that we had. Yep. The, at the movie theater. <sighs> That was so fun. I really loved that. And I loved throwing that. Um, and it was just so unique. And we had a really cool DJ. Um, I'm going to shout him out, Max Rhymes. Um, I know I've been to a lot of esports events and parties. And I, I can't lie. A lot of the times I, I like EDM music, but sometimes I just want to dance. And sometimes you can't just dance to that. And it's a lot of people standing around. So it's really cool to have a DJ that like made dance music happen for us. Definitely. It definitely was a great vibe. And I think that's one of the unique things about these festivals and conferences is having these after parties, having these kind of ancillary things that like build around it and add more excitement. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I feel. So what was it like kind of seeing an event you spent all this time and energy planning coming together? Like, you know, when you walked in and lights were on and it was showtime. I think you're so, I think, it's funny because I do this in my personal life too. Um, I'll like throw events or parties with my friends and I'll be like really concentrated the whole time. And it's just because I'm thinking of like, what's the next step? What do we have to do? Blah, blah, blah. And it seems like I'm not enjoying myself. I think I just enjoy like the little moments that happen, right? Like the little things that get me excited are like people, you know, dancing or like people getting on stage and winning, like a, a, you know, a trophy, especially with the women that we had um I think in Dallas like things like that are really cool I 
try to value those little moments, but yes, I'm always pretty much in constant work mode and it is never over when it comes to events. Right. You can't just, you're always locked in. You can't just enjoy the flashing lights and the music. Yeah, unfortunately, but yeah, it is what it is. Like, you you know what you sign up for, I think. Definitely. So do you have any advice or tips for anyone that are trying to, you know, work and organize these kind of large scale events? Um, I think it's really important to visit other people's work and see what they're doing and what you would do there, what you would do differently, like what you would change, right? Um, I made it a priority for my direct reports, for example, to visit events. I had them go to GC and PAX um, and just have them see like what is successful here, what they did like, what they didn't like, like that. Right. I think that's a great way to approach it is you kind of see what else is going on there and you kind of take from others who are, you know, excelling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. So I know you've worked in some other roles, including working with DreamHack. So what kind um, as well as Team Liquid. So what kind of learnings have you taken that you kind of now apply in the work you're doing? Um, I think one of the the major learnings that I've taken and and right now I do contract work, uh, a little bit of a break from the full time gig. Uh, but something I've learned is you can never be too prepared, right? Like things will always break. Things will always, something will always happen. Like events are literally live and in person with the human element. It's one of the parts of gaming that has the least amount of like game, like coding and gameplay and computer involvement. So the human error is like huge. So there's a lot you need to do to like prepare for that and like, have the systems in place for when those types of things happen. Right. There's things that get delayed or the power goes out or, you know, right. you think you got what, you know, 10 monitors, but only eight of them came and. Don't make me cry. <laughs> I mean, it, I've had but that it's, happen. <laughs> it, it happens because like you said, you have people doing things, a lot of moving parts, high scale, big stakes. And, you know, if you're not double and triple checking and, you know, Let's be real. Not everyone has the same, you know, work ethic as other people. And it's, oh, eight or 10 monitors. I think there's 10. Like maybe, you know, I'm not going to double check that, you know, and I thought I put 10 in there, but maybe I didn't. So, you know, I, I definitely know with a live events, like the show goes on and anything can happen and it does. Yeah, it's true. And and the show does have to go on. And I think something that's important um, is how you handle the stress and the pressure during before, during, and after. And and I'll be honest, like I'll be the first to admit, I'm still learning. There are still times where I can get upset or uh, annoyed and, you know, in the moment, like so much is going right or wrong and you you just get like that. So I think another thing to be cognizant of is like the emotional factor. Definitely. So let's talk a little about the International Game Developers Association. So what is the association and what was, you know, your role with them? So IGDA, um, I actually still run the SIG, which is a special interest group for the IGDA. I, it's also called Latinx and Gaming. Spoiler alert, they're the same thing. Um, but uh, what IGDA does is it has memberships for folks to really connect with other game developers in the industry. Um, they put on talks, they put on panels, they have presences at GDC. They, they're really there to help kind of unify the gaming industry. Um, and as, you know, board of directors is like, on there being part of that really my focus was like kind of making sure i think to check in on like certain things that i found important for game developers that i represent so for me 
that meant price models. Uh, something that I learned when I actually worked at Twitch many years ago is that like when, when I first started at Twitch, actually, our pricing was the same in every country, right? Um, and that actually can be a bit detrimental because what $4.99 for one sub might not seem like a lot to us, but in another country, that's like, a, you know, a day of work. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, and so something that I really, you know, pushed for um, back during my time is to make the, the membership fee cheaper. And this was after a lot of discussions with some devs who couldn't afford it, right? So the membership for IGDA was like a certain amount of money. And somebody told me, they're like, that's two weeks of groceries for me. Like, I that. So it's it's really important for me to like kind of bring to light some of those issues that might not necessarily be present. Um, you know, and I think folks were pretty nice and they were pretty receptive. Right, I think that's important that not everyone's in the same position. And I know probably at Twitch, you might've had something to do with it. They implemented different, you know, two ninety nine and other markets for the same subs where they kind of tiered down the offerings to be a little bit more in line with each country's currency. Yeah. So that's all. Um so yeah, so what advice do you have for anyone that's looking to work in the esports and video game space? Ha, huh, okay. Well <laughs> with times being what they are. I did not start in the video game space, and I think I was all the better for it. I started in a digital ad agency called iStrategy Labs back in 2013, so feel free to guess my age from that. Um, and the work I did was for Kroger, which is a grocery chain, um, and a uh, called William Grant & Sons, which is like a lot of alcohol, so it's like Florida Cana, Bel uh, Glenfiddich, Belvini. Yeah. Yeah. And trust me when I say this, it was not work I enjoyed, right? Like I was working on projects that I wasn't passionate about, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how to organize. I learned a lot what I needed to be a social media marketer. I learned a lot about marketing beats. And I think all of those things were really important and they were applicable to the gaming industry. And was it really hard for me to break into the gaming, even with that experience? Absolutely. And it did take having to go to industry events learn and, and be there and be present. And I didn't end up getting a full-time gig in gaming until 2016. So it was three years. So that might sound like a long time, but if you're 21, 22 years old, their economy, how it is. And trust me, I graduated during shitty times. I feel them like it's probably not even comparable. It's probably worse now. But what I will say is take a job that pays your bills that you can do, you don't have to give it 150%. Like you, it's a 40 hour work week. Try to learn, still do a good job. Like I'm not saying just like phone it in and go to the gym or something, but like try to do good work and learn and what you can gain from that while still going to gaming events. If you can be an enforcer, it's a paid job. You can still find a way to make it in. Is it a bit of a hustle? Absolutely. Um, but you know, times being what they are hustling might be necessary i'm not saying it's for everyone and, and for some people maybe they just need to relax for a bit and like take it easy and do something that doesn't stress them out and i get that too definitely i think that's great advice where like 
you know, having these ancillary skills, you know, even myself coming from the traditional entertainment, sports, music world, and understanding how you work with, you know, celebrities and influencers and these big companies and brand protection and being able to bring that over to this space. It's, you know, I'm always in that world and now I'm able to kind of cross over where I'm working with athletes that are in the gaming space or, you know, musicians in the gaming space and, you know, really be able to provide this unique insight. So what's your favorite part about working in the esports and gaming world? Um, you know what? I, it's so funny because there's just like, there's a bit of controversy about this kind of thing, but like, I remember once I was really stressed about work and one of my bosses was like, you know, you're just making video games. Like we're not surgeons. We're not saving lives. We're not saving dying people, saving the world. Right. And I've recently seen that used to like justify why people shouldn't be so upset about layoffs, which, you know, whatever, that's kind of gross. But what I will say is that I still think that we have and can have a positive impact in how the world grows and works. You know, I, I am a child of the internet. Um, as gross as that might be to say, uh, and I have seen like the memes that I only shared with a couple of people on my forums turn into like phenomenons. I've seen them make or break careers for people. I've seen them shift how we interact with each other digitally and globally. And I think games are a huge part of that landscape, right? And I think there is a, a social responsibility here to do the best that we can to make the gaming industry and games themselves a space that mimics what we want to see from the rest of the world because the rest of the world will follow us, right? Even if we're like, you know, and nobody really thinks this anymore, but gaming is so much of a standard, but even if we aren't considered necessary that we'll start, we still have such a huge impact on society. And I think we need to take that seriously. Right. I think that's some great, you know, points there. And I think everyone should really see that, that, you know, there's fun to it, but there's also a job and, trying to make the world you want is definitely possible. Um, so what's the future for you in this space and, you know, Latinx and gaming in general? Um, so right now, things that I'm doing, I, I am doing contract work, uh, currently working on some work for the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll see. That's all I'm saying. Um, I also, I'm just kind of taking it slow and just kind of figuring out where I want to be. That said, I still am running Latinx and gaming, and we are still doing things to help people with their careers. I also run a Slack for folks affected by layoffs. We're up to 1,700 people, which kind of sucks, but, you know, we're also here to help. And so I am going to be running some reader talks for that and some speaker series. That should be really good. Amazing. So it's amazing that you're out there trying to help everyone. I know that it's definitely needed and greatly appreciated. So trying to end each episode with my three questions. So what's your favorite game to watch? Oh my gosh, that's a good one. I've not heard that one. Um, Game to watch. It has been a hot minute since I've watched people game. You know what? I really like watching horror games and I like watching people play them. You caught me. Uh, any Any horror game will do. So I think... That's the last thing I think I've watched. Um, so what's your favorite game to play? My favorite game to play right now is, well, I always say Love Nikki, which is a mobile fashion game that has a really advanced storyline about like corruption and justice within the fashion world. So, like, cut out. They're also making an RPG for it. Um, but I also play Lego Fortnite right now. I'm, I'm really such a casual gamer. Like I used to be really into like esports to, to the point where I even have like a, a pearl tattooed on my wrist. 
Um, but like, I always thought it was funny, right? Like I would always be like, I'm going to play Timo mid or I'm going to do this. So I think this is just a natural extension. It's just like me building a barn for horses in Minecraft or me like running around Lego Fortnite, with a little hat on pretending to be Peely. Like that's, that's just like stuff I do. So. Amazing. So what's your favorite video game character? Uh, my favorite game character, you know, I still love the reveal of who Minna ended up being at the end of Twilight Princess. I obviously am a Legend of Zelda fan. I think she's fantastic. Sorry if I can't. Um, I think she's fantastic. Um, and I think that she has really done some cool things uh, in the game and her storyline and character arc is really cool. Amazing. Well, this was so great. Thank you so much for joining us. So tell everybody where they can connect with you and learn what you and Latinx are working on. Uh, so our website is latinxandgaming.com. You can find us under all, all of that on X, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, uh, and on Discord. It's discord.gg slash latinx. Uh, if you want to join the layoff Slack because you want to help people affected by layoffs or you yourself have been affected by layoffs, um, it, the email to contact us is contact at games, game industry jobs hunt. So game with no S, jobs with an S dot com. Uh, and there's like 10 admins now uh, for all these folks. And they're all awesome and amazing people. Um, and hopefully I'll see you at GDC. I'll be there for throwing a couple of parties for some clients um, and doing stuff for Latinx. Amazing. So if anyone is out there looking to get more involved in the community, please join Latinx and see what they're working on. And for those who've been affected by these, you know, horrible, horrible layouts that we see kind of going all over the place, Christina and some other wonderful people are out there helping you. So please know there's people out there. So thanks everybody again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q and Check Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube for all our past episodes. Hey. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.